0: Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Oh, it was such a relief over the weekend to have rain, proper rain for several hours, not just a few piddly little drops that evaporated after 10 minutes. This was a drop in temperature here on the South Coast and lots of rain. I know there was some rain and cooler temperatures in the interior and Caribou and other parts of the province, which brought some relief from the forest fire activity. It gave firefighters a chance to create a bit of a fire break around the White Rock Lake fire near Kamloops and Vernon. Man, that region has been hit hard. Lots of properties were destroyed in the Monte Lake area. Um, I don't know the full extent of the damage, but some friends of ours' family evacuated that area, and I know they fear for their farm. Um, uh, It's just, it's terribly, terribly scary. Lots of fires in the Caribou region. At the time of recording this, there are 271 fires burning in the province of British Columbia. Many of them are out of control So I'm sending out a huge thank you to all firefighters. Uh, About 100 firefighters from Mexico joined our own crews, uh, as well as a bunch from Australia and other places. Thank you to all of those hardworking people who are fighting to save our forests and save people's homes and livelihoods. I've said it before, stay safe out there, folks. Please be very careful. You may recall, last week, Griffin maintained control and did not use the knife that appeared in her hand after Phoenix doused her with the hose and made a mess of her Napoleons. And Rickenbacker learned that their loss in the last tournament may have been attributed to Phoenix's irrational fear of dandelions. He has encouraged Phoenix to do better this time round. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace Chapter 7 May 9th. On Wednesday morning, I felt so wiped out I had to drag myself out of bed and did not feel motivated to go to Salamanders at all. The guy upstairs was playing Johnny Cash's version of Hurt on a Loop. What was going on in his life to drive him to listen to that over and over? Poor fellow. In the end, that's what got me moving, because obviously he was worse off than me. After all, I was doing what I loved, playing music with a terrific band. Once I reminded myself it was all about the music, I was able to leave the apartment. I left Hurt behind, but on the bus, someone's iPod must have been cranked, because I could hear every breath you take, as clear as day. I looked all around, but couldn't see where it was coming from. Good thing I liked the song or I'd have gotten mad. As it was, it was mildly weird, but weird was becoming more or less my new normal. I think it was a bit much that whoever was playing it followed me to the train and listened to the song over and over about 437 times, so that by the time I arrived at work, my limbs were jittery and I kept glancing over my shoulder. As I turned the corner, I saw the sandwich board outside the restaurant and almost wished I still had the knife on me. I would slash the shit out of that damned photo. But Phoenix was lucky, because the photo had been removed. I walked in. I had chosen the correct arrival time today. Go me. To be greeted by Rickenbacker hastening toward me through the empty dining room, his coat tails flying behind him. "'Griffin, my dear!' He took my face in both hands and kissed both cheeks, European-style. "'Hello, Rickenbacker,' I said with cheerful uncertainty. "'You culinary genius, you! I knew you were the right choice!' "'Um, what?' The dessert you created yesterday was an absolute hit with our patrons. It sold out in two hours, even the vast quantity you made, and such an amazing sculpted delight it was. Many of our customers recognized certain sections as particular mountain ranges they've passed in their travels throughout our province. I have to say, my favorite portion was the one resembling that section of the Fraser Canyon between Lytton and Skihist. you know, on the far side of the river from the highway. Well, of "'Of course you know. You created it, after all.' "'He bowed at me. It was too much. "'But Rickenbacker Phoenix destroyed the dessert. "'Nonsense! "'But he did. He sprayed it with a hose, and me too, for that matter. "'When I left here, my pastry was an enormous slathery mess all over the work table, "'and my bus driver didn't let me on until I'd rolled around in the grass like a dog.' "'Rickenbacker smiled, shaking his head in a kind, patronizing manner that put me off. "'He curled his arm across my shoulders and guided me through the darkened dining room "'with its red-upholstered wooden chairs and dark wood tables. "'It smelled like burned soup. "'Ah, Griffin, quite a cut-up is our Phoenix. "'Doesn't he just have the nuttiest sense of humor?' It's such a delight. He's always pulling stunts and causing mayhem. You must have heard the story that circulated for months about Phoenix turning up at William and Kate's engagement party by jumping out of a giant cake wearing nothing but a fig leaf. Rickenbacker chuckled and fake-slapped his thigh in a mechanical way. But I do believe that story is apocryphal. I was so confused. I would have sworn upon my life that the day before I had been the knife-wielding cake-top on a disaster of dessert. I had not dreamt it. There was no way I had imagined that nasty bus ride, nor the way my guitar student turned his nose up at the smell. And yet... "'Apparently my creation had elicited high praise from the customers. "'Phoenix's behavior baffled me. "'Rickenbacker's inconsistent dialogue confused the hell out of me. "'It was too bad you weren't here to receive the ovation from the crowd,' "'Rickenbacker went on. He patted my shoulder. "'They cried out, "'Chef! Chef!' for quite some time, "'and we were disappointed that you had gone. "'I rolled my eyes. "'Why didn't Phoenix just take the credit like he did on Monday?' "'How can you say such a thing? Phoenix has a cabin in the Kootenays!' With which unrelated remark Rickenbacker deposited me near the kitchen and took his leave, disappearing into the unlit gloom. I stared after him and blinked with my bitterness and bewilderment. What was going on in this place? Were they trying to make me question my reason? I dropped my guitar and jacket off, and my heels dragged as I approached the kitchen door. What would it be today?' I took a preparatory deep breath and pushed on the door. The kitchen was a bevy of activity. They seemed to be training new kitchen staff, and a few of the cooks were shadowing younger folk, making the space feel quite a bit smaller than usual. Cramped, in fact. Standard kitchen sorts of sounds issued forth, instructions and requests of cooks to each other, the clanging and clattering of dishes and tools, everything as one would expect. Hmm... "'My instruction was black forest cake, two of them. "'Great, another thing I had never made. "'My pal Stephen already had the recipe out on the counter, "'a single sheet of regular paper printed on a regular printer, double-sided, "'for which I thanked him as I gave it a study. "'We would double the recipe. "Uh "'Uh-oh,' I said, "'this says to soak the cherries in the kirsch overnight.' "'I turned to Stephen, who was staring at the floor, "'his hair hanging over his forehead like a curtain.' "'In his hands he held out a jar of something "'that looked an awful lot like cherries. "'I took it and opened it. "'The sweet aroma of the cherry brandy was stunning. "'Wow, that smells awesome! "'I did it last night. "'I set the jar on the counter. "'Wait, what? You vanished last night!' Stephen nodded silently. "'What was I thinking? "'What was the point of questioning him? "'Did it matter? "'We had our kirsch soaked cherries, "'and that was the main thing.' Fine. Cool. Stephen sifted dry ingredients while I creamed the butter and sugar and added the eggs and vanilla. I put Stephen in charge of prepping the cherry filling while I mixed the cake batter and poured it into pans. It only needed to bake for twenty minutes. Stephen, can I please leave you in charge of taking the cakes out when they're done? I washed my hands and hung up my apron. They need to be removed from the pans, then poke holes in them with a toothpick and pour the kirsch on top so it can soak in. We can assemble them this afternoon. It was with profound relief that I took my leave of the kitchen and braved the labyrinthine service corridor. The rehearsal studio was my haven, the only place I felt safe in this building.' Mateo was there, practicing a tricky riff over and over. His face lit up like a rock concert stage when he saw me. Stress melted off me like candle wax. I didn't even feel like telling him about what had happened yesterday. I was less annoyed, so why bring it all back up and ruin the current mood? I warmed up, playing the opening of Mood for a Day, just quietly. It was a good finger workout, but I didn't want to be, you know, show-offy. When the others were ready, I switched to my twelve-string, and like magic, the last vestiges of my anger and discombobulation evaporated when I strummed the opening of Give a Little Bit. The bright jangling chords were always a mood lifter, as was the message of the song, but with this band, when the drums came in and Matteo joined me in unison on the lyrics, it was a rush like I imagined bungee jumping would be. And then, from out of nowhere, the keyboard player, Victor pulled out a sax and blew me away with his solo. Rehearsal was breathtaking. Even the minor slips we had tweaked the day before went flawlessly. We tightened up the segues between songs where we didn't plan to say anything, but move seamlessly from one song into the next. It's surprising how tricky that can be sometimes, to get your brain to change style and tempo quickly. Kind of like changing gears in a manual transmission. You don't want the transition to lurch. My brain seemed to have decided to play nicely today. It helped that the bass player... Dwayne? was able to communicate with me so clearly that, well, it was like he was right inside my head with me. We were so in sync. I had never looked forward to a gig so much. I was less nervous than ever before because I had tons of confidence in us as a band. On the other hand, I was more nervous than ever before because I wanted it all to go perfectly, to prove to the band and to myself that their choice was the right one. I worried Thursday night would be replete with all the mistakes and screw-ups I hadn't made in rehearsal. On the whole, though, I was feeling pretty confident about everything when I tore myself away to go back to the kitchen. The swinging door made a satisfying thunk as I bashed it open. All the cooks and chef hovered over a dish of something, like medical students examining a patient. Stephen was whipping cream. What a swell guy he turned out to be. I watched momentarily while the cooks all laughed about something, and Stephen actually looked right up at me. He looked away again, but I celebrated the fact that he'd made real eye contact. It's the little things, you know. All right, Stephen, let's get building some Black Forest cakes. We spread cherry filling and placed layers of chocolatey goodness and spread more filling and dolloped whipped cream until we had two impressive cakes. Nothing had gone wrong, and I proudly patted my assistant on the shoulder. The other kitchen staff rushed about working on their own creations, stirring and slicing things. The tunes were cranked through the speaker system, as usual, with songs like Sugar Sugar and Pour Some Sugar on Me, featuring prominently. (laughs) "'If we don't get some new subject matter in the tunes, I'm gonna cry,' I said with a laugh. Candyman came to an end as I finished washing my hands, and the next song on the playlist was, coincidentally, Elvis singing "'I'm Gonna Sit Right Down and Cry.' A severe case of the willies rippled through me. At least this time I wasn't the only one who could hear the music. To my surprise, my hitherto quiet and shy assistant, Stephen, stopped what he was doing and hopped up onto the counter, where he launched into a terrific impression of the king. My instinct was to move the cakes to a different counter, so I did." "'The entire staff, myself included, got a huge kick out of watching him, "'right up until Stephen jumped down, dropped to the floor, and started breakdancing. "'Legs flew in all directions, knocking people over and sending carts, trays, and equipment flying. "'Stephen, cut it out!' I yelled as I placed my body like a shield in front of the precious cakes "'to prevent any utensils from damaging them. "'I can't help it,' he said. "'I have to break to Elvis!' I dodged a ladle that came perilously close to the side of my head and managed to deflect it away from the cake. Then the song stopped and Stephen righted himself and backed into me. I lost my balance. My foot slipped out from under me and with one arm I grabbed Stephen to right myself. That arm pulled Stephen into one cake and my free arm knocked into the other. Now we were both covered in chocolate cake, cream and cherry goo. "'Damn it all to hell!' I yelled. "'No more Elvis through those speakers!' Stephen sheepishly helped me to my feet and handed me a towel. "'I groaned in dismay when I examined the cakes just as Phoenix entered. "'The man's timing was disturbing. "'He took one look at the mess and rolled his eyes, "'making little scoffing noises. "'This is the brilliant creation you've come up with today. "'I have to say you are the most careless, irresponsible individual I have ever met.' "'It was an accident,' I said in Stephen's defence. Phoenix threw up his hands. Oh, and there you go, blaming it on your subordinate. How typical. I wiped my hand on the towel, and when I pulled it out, my fingers were clenched around the knife that I had stuck into a mound of ooey-gooey flakiness the day before. I hastily covered it with the towel. Phoenix's eyebrow rose. Clean up this mess. He walked out. I slapped the towel onto the floor with a new understanding of what it means to throw in the towel and slammed the knife into a drawer. In another uncharacteristic move, I heeded my instinct. Stephen, I am going back to rehearsal. You are going to clean this up and fix those, I pointed to the cakes. Got it? My assistant nodded sheepishly, and I left. Nervous? Nervous? Mateo put his arm across my shoulders, resulting in a very different effect from when Rickenbacker began my day the same way. Whereas I had wanted to shrink away from Rickenbacker's suspect kindness, Mateo's arm was warm like a hot water bottle and fit like a toque, but a toque that sent giddiness fluttering around my shoulders, down my arms, and into my belly. Mateo's arm coaxed a goofball sort of smile out of me. It was evening, and we'd spent the afternoon going over minute details and perfecting entrances and song endings. We walked through the dining room toward the door at the end of the day. A little, I answered. Don't be. I shrugged, but only a little, because I didn't want him to think I wanted him to move his arm. I can't help it. I I want to be perfect, and I'm afraid everything's going to go wrong. He laughed a little, and I didn't feel like he was laughing at me. I know what you mean. You do? How could this god of music be nervous? Of course, I'm not perfect. Could have fooled me. (laughs) You're funny. No, I'm pretty confident, and I feel great about what we're doing, but I always get nervous before a gig that I'll mess up the lyrics, or I'll play the wrong chord right in the middle of a song, or I'll play the wrong ending. As Matteo listed all the possible things that could go wrong, I got to giggling because he was right. All musicians feel this way before a gig, and by the time we reached the door, we were both laughing our heads off. I told him about the fateful night only four nights ago when Jason had launched into his feedback-ridden Thrasher solo. <laughs> the look on the bride's face was priceless, I said. I mean, what Jason did was awful, and I'm still plenty mad at him, but it was pretty funny, too. We leaned against the wall by the door, facing each other, wiping away tears of mirth. But you know, Griff? God, I loved it when he called me that. What? He smiled sort of shyly, his eyes downcast, but peering at me. I'm glad it happened. My heart skipped a beat, which sounds cliché, but sorry, that's what it did. Yeah? He ran his hand down the length of my arm and took my hand in his very soft, warm one because if that gig had gone well, I wouldn't be standing here with you right now. He caressed the back of my hand with his thumb. It was like being mildly electrocuted. And you know something else? I know this gig isn't going to be like that. This gig is going to be awesome. He ran a feather-touch fingertip down my cheek, and the ripple effect carried on all the way through my body. Oh God, he was about to kiss me. He leaned down and whispered conspiratorially, I know this gig is going to be awesome because I'll be playing with you, and you and I, we're terrific together. He smiled again, warmly this time. Don't you think so? I tried to nod but didn't seem to have control of my muscles. I managed to whisper, Yeah. He kissed me on the cheek, ever so softly like the breath of a butterfly, stroked my hair again and was gone. I swear I stood there for a full five minutes before I found the energy to push myself away from the wall. I swear I floated all the way home and didn't even need the bus. I also swear my cheek was still tingling from the feather touch of his lips by the time I got home. I swear I ate something before flopping into bed, but I couldn't tell you what it was. I swear it was three o'clock in the morning when I awoke, bolt upright in bed, upon realizing that not only had I missed rehearsal with my own band, but I hadn't even returned Calvin's phone call the day before. Chapter 8 May Tenth. I tossed the blankets aside and wearily dug my cell phone out of my jacket pocket where it had been for a couple of days. The battery was almost dead, so I plugged it in and flopped into the armchair, pressing a gajillion buttons. Sure enough, there he was. Hey, Griff, it's me. You know, just wondering, since I didn't hear from you, are you coming to rehearsal or what? The guys are coming over here and it's just going to be casual, so hope to see you. Then was another guilt-laden message from my mother— Griffin, you'll want to know that Mrs. Beckett brought two friends into the store. They were buying dresses for a tea they're going to next weekend. Mrs. Beckett heard about your little escapade through her sister, whose next-door neighbor's mother-in-law was actually at that wedding. Unbelievable, the stories that are circulating about your behavior. I hope you're satisfied that people are staying away in droves. Are you coming for dinner on Sunday? I roll from me. Then I heard Calvin's voice, and my heart sank. He sounded tired. Well, we had a good time. It would have been better if you'd been here, because we need to decide what to do. But we played some tunes, talked about shit. For what it's worth, the rest of us want to keep going. The guys were all asking about you, and, well, I didn't know what to tell them. I don't want to sound like I'm mad or anything, but... And thing is, it's it's kind of more fun with you there, so... Come on, Griffin, call me. There were several text messages saying pretty much the same thing. The ball was definitely in my court. He wasn't the one being a jerk. I went back to bed by about 3.20 but didn't sleep well for the rest of the night. I lay awake with my overactive mind alternating between Mateo's lips like rose petals on my cheek and stewing over having fucked up with Calvin.' "'Calvin didn't deserve this kind of treatment. He was genuinely one of the nicest people on the planet, and he had every right to be mad as hell at me. Yet not one of his messages contained anything stronger than, come on, Griffin, call me. Now the big coward I am, I dreaded ever talking to him. I wished I could vow to never speak to him again and just pretend those guys didn't even exist. Yeah, right.' "'I wished I could wash my hands of him and not feel guilt, regret some more guilt, and let's face it, profound sadness at losing my best friend. "'That was the thing. Calvin was my best friend, and I'd royally let him down, not to mention the others in the band. "'With friends, you know you can trust them to understand if you make a mistake.' goodness knew I'd made plenty in all the years I'd known him, and so would he, though probably not as many as me, so I was glad we weren't keeping score. But I was also well aware that there must be a limit to his patience. I didn't want to find out what that looked like, for all that I dreaded talking to him not talking to him wasn't an option.' But when? Oh, crap, because that was the other thing keeping me awake. It was early hours on Thursday morning, and my first gig with the spurious correlations was that night. I had a full day of work to get through first. I'd be seeing Mateo again in just a few hours. Too few hours, considering I was awake instead of getting my beauty sleep, yet too many when I thought of the shiver running down my back with the touch of his fingers on my hair. Somewhere, I think in the apartment next door, someone was listening to In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. Such a melancholy song did nothing to improve my frame of mind. And why were people listening to music so damn loud at this time of the night? I didn't remember the walls being this thin. Maybe I'd just never noticed it before. Or maybe it was a new tenant or something.' I must have drifted off because the time went by too quickly for me to have stayed awake the whole time, but I swear I spent the rest of the dark time dreaming I was lying awake fretting. When my alarm jolted me out of restless sleep, I had to hustle. It was still too early to call Calvin. I would call him when I was on the train. We had discussed, as a band, what to wear for the gig, but I hadn't pulled out anything. I sure wasn't going to wear my gig clothes to work. I was a little choked to still have to work in the kitchen on gig day, but it shouldn't be bad. I hoped my task would be as easy as the day before. I wondered if I had any choice. What if I were to say, ''No, I don't want to make that. I'd rather make shortbread.'' I could try. I showered, pounded back a piece of toast with chocolatey hazelnut spread my eating habits had been shameful these last few days, shoved my gigging clothes, the kind which don't need to be ironed, Some makeup, a hairbrush, and hair product into my backpack. I could really use a coffee, but I neither had time nor enough hands. I had to carry my small backpack on my front, my electric guitar in its backpack-style case on my back, my acoustic in the handheld case, and my amp. I always prefer to use my own amp for gigs. My 12-string was still at Salamander's, thank goodness. One smart decision I had made. Yay! A peek outside told me it was misty, but not pouring. Good, I could get away with not wearing a raincoat or adding an umbrella to my load. I hefted my amp and guitars to the bus stop, eyeing the bench hungrily. An elderly lady sat on one end, and the other was occupied by a pimply youth wearing a pale blue shirt and an argyle sweater vest. There were no spectacles to complete his stereotypical nerd ensemble, but my guess was that he wore very thick contact lenses." You'd have thought someone so obviously smart would think to shift over so I could more readily access a seat on the bench and keep my gear out of anyone's way, but no. I've learned over time that often the smartest people have the least common sense. I didn't recognize either of these people, though I'd lived in the neighborhood for years. I had to step down into the road to get around the kid, but plunked my amp down and sat in the center of the bench, careful not to lean back against the electric guitar case. My acoustic case I rested on its butt end, the neck pointing skyward to avoid poking anyone's eye out. The elderly lady humphed as if I'd sat in her lap. The kid said, What's that? Is it a guitar? No, it's a turtle, I told the kid. Duh, I wasn't responsible for his self esteem. Damn, but I was in a bad mood. You're a liar, the old woman said in a snotty tone. He's an idiot, I replied. I can recite pi up to the 95th decimal point. The kid's pride filled me with dismay. Oh dear. Hm, I said, maybe if I sounded like I didn't fucking care, he'd leave me alone. 3.14 he began, and I shut my eyes preparing for the pain, the more fool me for arriving early to catch the bus. 1592653589793 I stared straight ahead and tried to think of England. It's not a turtle, the old bag huffed. It looks like a musical instrument of some description. Two, three, eight, four, six, two, six, four, three, three, eight, three, two, seven, nine, five, zero, two. In point of fact, I think it looks like a trombone. Are you familiar with a trombone that requires amplification? I had to ask. 88419716939. If Kingdom Animalia were to be represented, I would say it's more like a kangaroo than a turtle. What? 937510582097494. Nine, or a great blue heron. 459230781. What the hell is great blue heron or kangaroo like about my guitar? The old scrag leapt to her feet and brandished an umbrella at me, which I could have sworn just materialized in her hand. See? See? She waved the umbrella at me and danced around, shouting to all and sundry, of whom there were none, Perfidy! 640628620! Witness the skullduggery inherent in the young! She sounded for all the world like an evangelical preacher. I wondered why she didn't climb up on the bus stop bench. eight nine nine eight six two eight zero. It is a guitar, not a turtle. May you shrivel and waste away for your chicanery. For my part I looked at the sky and wondered what had become of my world. three four eight two five three. They both stopped talking at the same time, and all was silent. It was like switching off the music in the middle of a song I didn't like. A leaf dropped off a tree across the street and floated to the ground where it touched with a soft pfft. A car several blocks away revved its engine as it pulled away from the curb. Some black-capped chickadees twittered. The bus came around the corner. I rose, waiting till the last minute to lug my acoustic and amp. Just as the bus lurched to a stop, diesel fumes billowing round it, an insistent honk blared from its rear. Bloody hell! Mateo waved out the window of the Mini, which had come to a halt behind the bus. Billy Graham climbed aboard the bus, followed by Mensa Twitboy, who had rudely pushed past me, nearly knocking me into the side of the bus, and only then I headed over to Mateo's car. You couldn't possibly have arrived five minutes earlier, eh? Trouble? I laughed. Just some fellow transit users were a little more entertaining than I needed this morning. I hoisted my gear into the trunk of the car and climbed in next to him, then becoming aware of sitting very close to the very hot young man who had sent me to cloud nine with a kiss on the cheek. That very cheek, and its partner, turned warm. Had he spent the entire evening thinking about it, too? Was he thinking of it even now? "'Could he read my mind or see on my face "'that I desired more than anything for him to repeat the gesture "'or take it just a couple of inches to the left? "'He was speaking, and I wasn't paying any attention. "'How embarrassing! "'Probably you'll need a new clutch next year, "'but that's not bad for it being five years old. "'Where do you live, anyway? "'Sorry for interrupting, but I didn't think you lived around here.' "'He turned and grinned, a secret sort of grin. "'I don't.' Well, then, some things are worth going out of one's way for. I kept my mouth shut because I was in danger of babbling. We somehow missed all the traffic. Mateo seemed to know all the back routes to avoid all the accidents, stalls, and heavy volume. We made excellent time getting to the restaurant. He pulled into the pitch-black parkade entrance. How did they do that, and why? He looked at me while expertly negotiating his car around the tight driveway— "'What do you mean?' "'I waved behind us. "'Well, the darkness.' "'He shrugged as if he had never given it a moment's notice. "'Do you have anyone coming tonight?' "'My heart sank. "'What an idiot! "'Why hadn't I invited Jillian or Cal— "'No, that would be a bad idea. "'Hi, Calvin, it's me, remember? "'Griffin, I was your friend who vanished and never spoke to you, "'and now I'm cheating on you with another band. "'Why don't you come and hear us play?' "'He would not exactly respond favorably.' It was true, I did feel like I was cheating on my band." I mentally slapped my wrist; "damn it, today of all days I could not think like that! I had baking to do and a gig to play tonight. It's just for a while," I lied to myself; "you're just seeing how this goes! Then I'd decide what to do about my band. Maybe after trying this out I would invite Matteo to meet the guys. Oh Griffin you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Who was I kidding? I wanted this band with Matteo to be my band forever and always. I was set to marry Matteo and make beautiful music with him until death do us part. Great. I was in a foul mood and we hadn't even parked the car yet. After depositing my guitars and amp in the rehearsal studio, I pulled out my cell phone as I headed to the kitchen. There were two calls I had to make, to my mother and to Calvin, who I had intended to call from the train, but then I hadn't taken the train. I feared the sarcastic wrath my mother would baste me with if I neglected to return her call to confirm I would be at Sunday dinner. Faced with that, you might think it would be easier to call Calvin, but the truth was I feared his calm sensitivity even more. The phone beeped as I clicked numbers. Mom? Yes? It's me, Griffin. Oh, Griffin? You mean the long-lost daughter who I never thought I'd hear from again, that Griffin? Well, I don't know why you would think that, I murmured. You know I'm at my wit's end here with all these women coming into my shop specifically to embarrass me about the behavior of one of my daughters. Which one do you suppose? Well, certainly not Gillian. You know, why can't you pay closer attention to what Gillian does and how she behaves? A true professional. It's so exotic that she is a dancer. You want Gillian to be an exotic dancer? How quaint.' Mother carried on as if she hadn't heard me, which she likely hadn't, because that would mean tuning out the sound of her own voice for a millisecond. It's so classy, not like being a, a... What do you call yourself? A musician, Mom. A rock guitarist. That just has so many implications. It does? You're probably surrounded by drugs, which would explain your behavior of the other night. It certainly explains someone's behavior, not mine. I was just too tired of this kind of talk and too used to it to rise to her challenges. When my friends ask about Jillian, I am thrilled to talk about her, but with you I have to swallow my pride and tell them what you do. She said what you do as if she were playing with a mouthful of tapioca pudding on her tongue or bad seafood. And now I have to defend the family as these women talk about your awful, awful wedding fiasco. Look, Mum, are you finished? I have to get to work. I don't know if you can hear me or not over the sound of your voice, but I am coming over on Sunday, so bye. (sighs) I hung up with a sigh, an accompanying eye roll, and leaned against the wall outside the kitchen. I called up Calvin's name in my phone and hit the button. The person who picked up the phone was definitely not Calvin. She was speaking in a foreign language I couldn't identify. She used a lot of words. I interrupted her. Hello? Who is this? I'm looking for Calvin. Calvin Sheely? The woman on the other end sounded upset, so I said, Sorry, I'll try him again, for some reason, and hung up. I double-checked the button and the number and tried again. A different woman answered, but she spoke in the same language as the previous one. I hung up and examined my phone. How was it possible to dial a wrong number when I was using a programmed cell phone? I looked at the clock and regrettably realized I didn't have time to figure it out. I would just have to try again later. I pushed on the door into the kitchen. When Chef told me I had to make something called d'acquoise, I decided to test a theory. With a deep breath, I shut my eyes and opened them again. I'd rather do something simple today because of the band playing tonight. How about I make shortbread? No. All right. Face hot, I backed away. How silly of me to have suggested it. Stephen had already pulled out The Day of the Luminous Laundry, ostensibly a science fiction murder mystery, but Stephen knew better. On page 47 was the recipe for d'acquoise, which was described as a fluffy and crunchy cake of hazelnutty chocolatey goodness that proves the existence of heaven. If anything, I was learning all kinds of things about dessert, and maybe I'd be helpful to my dad one day. See? I'm a glass-half-full kind of person. As we dug out ingredients and equipment, my cell phone buzzed in my pocket. It was a text from Brian reminding me I had two guitar lessons to teach at five and six o'clock. Shit, shit, shit. If I left here at four, I'd be able to get to the store in time to teach Derek Sheffield at five. Hopefully Colin's student would be early and I could get her in, say, 5.45. I'd be finished by 6.15 and back to Salamanders by 7.15. I'd be basically warmed up already after teaching. We wouldn't start playing until eight. No problem. "'I left Stephen to grind hazelnuts and beat egg whites while I went to find Mateo. "'I told him about having to teach. A crease appeared in his forehead. "'It sounds like you have plenty of time.' "'He shook his head doubtfully. I hope so. "'I half hoped he would offer to drive me in that hot little mini of his, "'but I wasn't about to ask him. "'I'll be here in time, definitely.' "'He squeezed my arm. "'Anyway, really, this isn't the gig to worry about. "'The really big gig is a week from Sunday.' "'Oh, yeah? What's big about it?' "'It's some festival or other. "'There's apparently going to be tons of bigwigs here.' "'Wait a minute!' I gasped. "'What's the date of that gig?' "'Sunday, May 20th.' Matteo hurried off to whatever it was he spent his time doing. "'I wilted against the wall in relief. "'Saturday, the 19th of May, was Calvin's sister's wedding in Victoria. "'I had made it clear to Rickenbacker I was absolutely unavailable that day. "'This big gig being on Sunday meant something was going right for a change. "'It was a drag to have to leave Victoria and come home early on Sunday "'when the plan had been to spend the weekend, but it was better than the alternative. "'I have got to get a hold of Calvin, "'if only because we needed to practice our song together.' But not right then, later. Instead, I phoned Jillian and got her voicemail. Hey, Jill, I know it's kind of last minute, and I'm really sorry I haven't called earlier. Listen, the reason I've been so busy is that I'm sort of guest playing with this band, and we've been cramming in rehearsals. Anyway, we're playing this little gig tonight at 8 at this restaurant downtown on Powell Street. It's called Salamanders. I wondered if you wanted to come hear us. There, I'd made a little bit of an effort anyway. The chances of her coming were pretty slim, but at least I'd told her. The dacquoise included buttercream and chocolate ganache and all sorts of layers of meringue. It was complicated and took hours and virtually all my sanity. Stephen deserved a medal, not only for his proficiency as a pastry chef, but for his calm, silent nature that kept me from cowering in a ball in a dark cupboard. "'When the dessert was finished, it did indeed look like something inspired by heaven. "'It had turned out beautifully, I had to say. "'I was reluctant to leave the kitchen. "'What would Phoenix do to destroy our creation this time? Stephen, I beg of you to protect this today.' Stephen looked at his shoes, orange sneakers, and nodded. "'I had to trust that the work he had put in today meant as much to him as it did to me.' The band had decided not to have a full-on rehearsal today, but we did get together to tweak and tighten a couple of things. When I said I had to go, Matteo gave me an encouraging wave and said, "'See you soon, Griff.' With heavy trepidation about my dessert and my timing of things, I pulled my arms through the sleeves of my jacket and hustled out the door, breathing a sigh of relief that I hadn't run into Phoenix or Rickenbacker. I was excited about the gig and wished the lessons were over so I could get back. As I walked to the bus stop, I replayed some of my favorite moments from the band's repertoire in my head, which gave me goosebumps, which made me chuckle. Given how great the band's harmonies sounded, I had started making a list of potential new songs we could learn after the gig was over. I wouldn't bring it up today, though. We needed to get through the gig first. To my great annoyance and increased stress, my bus was late, so I was late for my five o'clock. Derek didn't seem to care, but the father was like, I don't appreciate this, you know. We have to bolt from here and go straight to soccer, so you can't run late at the end. You'll have to make up the time on another day. I assured him I'd be happy to do so, and that I didn't want to waste any more of today's lesson talking about it. I ushered the kid into a practice room. By the time we emerged, Brian was waiting to speak to me after the kid and his dad left. I was about to explain the situation from my side, but Brian said, Did you really tell Derek's father his kid was as dumb as a sack of hammers? Shocked, I said, No, of course not. I would never say anything like that. What an asshole. I don't need to tell you. No, I agreed vehemently. You don't. Riled as I was, the next lesson, although it started on time, was not very beneficial to Colin's student. I kept messing up. For starters, I didn't know what Colin had assigned her to practice, and then I didn't recognize the song when she began to play. Devinder let me know, as teenaged girls often took pride in doing. It was heart. The duh was implied. In that half hour, she played better than I did, and as a result, I was more nervous than ever for my gig. Her mother, whom I had never met, her daughter not really being my student, wanted to talk to me after the lesson, which never happens unless I'm in a hurry to get out the door. So will there be a recital at the end of term? I tried to look in a hurry while I put my guitar away and folded the strap. Brian usually puts one on in the early summer, yeah. Because I think it's important to share what they're learning with their peers. I nodded. Yes, so do we. The older kids provide mentorship for the younger ones. I remember when Devinder was little, she used to love hearing the older kids play, and she'd say, I want to learn to play like that, you know? It was really good for her. It pushed her. Frustration crept into my voice in spite of all my efforts. I shoved my arms into my jacket. Yes, we agree. So do you think Devinder will be ready to play La Villa Strangiata by then? What? Had she talked to Colin about wanting to learn that? I tried not to sound scornful. It's only one of the most difficult guitar tunes there is. "'Devinder had already gone out into the front room. "'I picked up my guitar and tried to sort of push past the woman who said, "'Well, it's a shame, really, that you haven't taught it to her, "'because I think she would play it very well, "'and it would do a lot to inspire other students if they saw, "'Well, I haven't thought of it because I'm just filling in for Colin, "'but maybe she's talked to him about it. "'Listen, I've got to run,' I said with a fake smile. "'I encourage you to bring it up with Devinder. "'If she wants to learn it, we can start, "'though I doubt she'd be ready by June.' "'I made my way by, even though she didn't budge out of the doorway. "'See you next time.' "'She said, oh, in a startled pitch, "'and I had a feeling I'd hear from Brian about this one, "'but it couldn't be helped. I had a gig. "'I rushed to the bus stop just as the bus was pulling up, "'a close call I don't care to experience ever again.' Nothing had gone terribly wrong, but I was nervous because of the gig anyway, never mind the added urgency of almost missing the bus. It wasn't the first time I questioned my insane decision to tackle both jobs, but when I thought of the music we made, it's all about the music. By 7.23, I got back to Salamanders, where Phoenix, dressed much like the ghost of Christmas present this time, pinioned me in the dining room. Well, did you make it? Obviously, I'm here, aren't I? He gave me a puzzled sort of squint. Listen, Phoenix, I have to go get ready. Oh, the light bulb went on behind his empty eyes. No, I didn't mean did you make it here for the gig? I meant did you make the trifle? What? No, I didn't make trifle. My jacket pocket suddenly felt weighty. I made that dacquoise thing Chef asked for. It was really tricky and took hours. I stuck my hand in, and sure enough, there was the damn knife. I pressed my hand firmly in my pocket. What the hell's that? It sounds French. He screwed up his nose as if French pastries were the most distasteful thing you could ever suggest to him. I hesitated to point out that the French had quite a history with pastries. I don't know what nationality it is, to be honest, but I made what I was asked to make. Now, if you'll excuse me... I pushed by him less gently than I had maneuvered past Devinder's mom. Hot pokers of anxiety were stabbing me in the back, and molten lava was under severe pressure in my gut. Something was about to explode if I didn't get the hell into that back room to prepare. Anyhow, since I had also made Millefeuille and Creme Brulee, I didn't think he ought to suddenly have a strong opinion about French desserts. I heard Phoenix holler something after me, but I ignored him, tears stinging my eyes. I tossed the knife in the garbage bin on my way out. I smashed my elbow on the corner of the wall in my haste, dumped my stuff in the rehearsal room, and ran to the washroom to change. Sure enough, a nice new bruise decorated my left elbow like a tattoo of a plum. I did some humming to warm and relax my throat while I changed and rubbed some mousse into my hair. I finally joined the others back in the rehearsal room. "'Matteo looked incredibly handsome in black jeans and a red plaid shirt with a few buttons undone, and a black vest. "'He looked me up and down in my gigging outfit, just a funky black skirt and a dark red top and some cool boots with a bit of a heel. "'Of course, the minor attention I'd paid to my hair helped, too, as did the teensy dab of makeup I'd put on for a change. "'He grinned at me like a fool. "'Wow, Griffin, you look really nice.' Who knew such simple little words could have such a big effect? I was on air. As if by magic all my anxiety fled, as if I'd been there all afternoon and hadn't just survived mayhem. I didn't even feel like barfing. I did a decent vocal and guitar warm-up and ignored a stab of angst that we hadn't had a proper sound check. It was a matter of supreme luck that I had a brief moment to take a deep breath before the opening strums. We went out to the stage. Rickenbacker Topiary announced us. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat this evening. This is the inaugural performance of the house band's new lineup. Please enjoy the Spurious Correlations. Matteo gazed across the stage at me and we counted in the first song together. We opened with wild, wild life, which struck me as funny given what I'd been through these last few days. I laughed as I sang and it felt great. The audience loved us. I loved us. Matteo loved us, too. Performing with him was even better than rehearsing with him. We were in sync like I'd never felt with any other musician. We sounded great together. Our voices blended beautifully. This was all so good I could hardly believe it was true. The entire band played pretty much flawlessly, and we had lots of laughs on stage. "'Matteo and I related to each other and had a great rapport. "'The audience, just a blur in the dim light beyond the stage, couldn't stay seated. "'The thing about our set list was there was so much variety "'that if someone didn't like one song, chances were they'd like the next one. "'Consequently, when one group sat, another one got up. "'The dance floor was full for pretty much the entire evening. "'Rickenbacker lurked in the corner, but he looked happy enough. "'I didn't see Phoenix.' Jillian didn't come, but then I hadn't really expected her to with such short notice. The one thing that was odd was the way the audience behaved. I didn't notice it until later in the evening because I was having such fun. From up on stage, they looked sort of funny as if they were a CG audience. When they clapped along, they always seemed to be just behind the beat. A few times I saw people laughing, but the sound didn't come out until a fraction of a moment later. It was kind of like watching a video when the audio track is out of sync. N- and the clapping and cheering seemed fuller than was possible for the size of the crowd. It was sort of a strange thing for me to notice, but I've played enough live gigs to know what it feels like. At one point between songs, I stepped over to Matteo. Have you noticed the audience? He grinned, a brightness in his eyes I only ever see when someone is doing something they're passionate about. Yeah, they're fabulous. They're really enjoying us, don't you think? I didn't want to waste any more time on it, and clearly he hadn't noticed. Maybe it was time to get my eyes tested. Oh, yeah, the other thing that happened was this. In our break between sets, I went into the kitchen to grab a refill on my water. I checked to see how well my dacquoise was selling. I couldn't find it. I grabbed one of the waiters, a plain-looking fellow with brown hair. Did the dacquoise sell out already? That chocolate hazelnut cake thing? Yeah, that's it. Oh, Phoenix took it home. What? I thought, and then I said it aloud. What? All of it? The waiter balanced about seven small plates of something on his arm. Yep, he was having a birthday party for his three-year-old and needed a cake. The door swung behind the waiter and his plates. A little kid's birthday party? What the hell was wrong with Dairy Queen ice cream cake for little kids? Since when did a bunch of preschoolers need French fucking dacrois for crying out loud? I felt cheated and, yes, hurt again. My chest ached. But I couldn't feel down for long, not when Mateo flew into the kitchen and grabbed me around the waist and swung me around so my skirt flared out and nearly caught on some pot handles on the equipment shelf. Griffin, they love us. We are awesome together, you and I. (laughs) The rest of the band, too. (laughs) I was laughing my head off as I corrected him. Frankly, I couldn't even remember what the other guys looked like. My head was full of Mateo only. "'Yes, of course they rock, but you and I, we sizzle.' We stopped spinning abruptly. The kitchen was empty except for us. He hadn't taken his hands off my waist. My whole body trembled. "'Your eyes,' he whispered, "'they're so—' I reached up and tucked his wavy hair behind his ears, never disconnecting from his deep blue gaze. He leaned down. I reached up. When our lips met— "'Sizzle, indeed. "'The tingle in the small of my back nearly made me lose my balance. "'His lips were soft and just a little moist. "'The tip of his tongue flicked ever so lightly, and then it was done. "'He took my hands and we pulled apart. "'My neck and shoulders had tightened with expectation. "'My breathing was so shallow I thought I might hyperventilate. "'Oh, Griffin!' "'He ran his fingers through my hair in that way of his.' "'I licked my lips and failed to produce words. "'We have to start the next set. "'He seemed to be having trouble breathing, too. "'I nodded and finally managed an airy, "Uh uh-huh. "'He went out. "'Oh, this won't do at all. "'I went to the sink and splashed some cool water on the back of my neck. "'How could I play now? "'How could I ever have thought Jason was attractive? "'How could I ever have thought he cared for me?' No, this was brand new! I sang at last with more heartfelt energy than I ever had in my career. Voice mail from Gillian on my cell phone after the gig. Hey Griff, I got your message. I'm sorry I didn't make it to hear you play. It's too bad you didn't give me an address. I looked it up online and I couldn't find the place. I know you said it was on Powell, but I didn't know the cross street and obviously I couldn't drive around every street looking for it. Of course I'd have been listening for great music and that would have drawn me to the right place, I guess. (laughs) She laughed. Anyway, sorry, honey, let me know when your next one is. She always said such nice things, and she meant them, too, which is why I wonder how she can be the daughter of our mother. As we said good-night, I reminded Rickenbacker about my trip to Victoria a week from Saturday. "'I'd cancel, but it's my best friend's sister's wedding and we're singing. It was planned months ago.' Rickenbacker bowed. "'Yes, of course. I would not expect you to alter a long-laid plan, especially one which will bring about the joy of another.' "'He told us we had Friday and Saturday off, placed his top hat on his head, and made his exit. "'The man I was most definitely in love with took my hand and kissed it. "'It was so hard to part I felt like Juliet must have. "'Standing at the bus stop, the mere memory of his hand on my cheek kept me warm.' I wondered at his not offering me a ride home, since it was late at night and I had my guitars and amp as I had in the morning, but I had no right to expect it of him, and I still didn't know where he lived or what brought him near enough to my place to pick me up. Not to mention how he knew I'd be there in that place at that time. Those odd things occurred to me, but I guess I chose to simply set them aside in favour of closing my eyes and allowing my recollection of the way he smelled sweet and kind of nutty. To carry me home. Ah, new love is such a beautiful thing. That first gig was amazing. I sure hope Phoenix's kid enjoyed the deck was. Very sophisticated palette for a toddler. Tune in next week when Griffin says, I would sure appreciate it if you would clean up after your dog. This week is When Words Collide, August 13th to 15th. It's a fantastic readers and writers festival based in Calgary, Alberta. This year, like last year, it's an entirely virtual event, which means it's free, and it's not too late to join in if you're so inclined. We went in person a few years back and, of course, joined in last year, too, and it was wonderful. Definitely something for everyone there. All manner of panels and discussions about pretty much every genre of literature. Uh, Worth checking out at whenwordscollide.org. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. You know, I miss the in-person events i i miss seeing my friends at miscon and creative Inc. and when words collide and and so many others i miss reading aloud from our favorite viking adventure and i miss barcon every time i go to a convention i meet at least one or two new people to add to the friend group and that just doesn't happen the same way at the online virtual version but There is something to be said for the virtual version because, boy, oh boy, I save on airfare and accommodation. (laughs) It means that folks can join in from all over the world who may not otherwise be able to attend. And I can sit on the couch and get a snack whenever I want. You know, pants are optional, that sort of thing. I am on several panels this year. The list is on my website, crystalwallace.com, and on the Totally Fantastic Title Facebook page. I'm not sure how that's going to go. I find I'm feeling a little anxious about the whole thing. Um, I will tell you all about it next week, <laughs> and maybe I'll see some of you there. Thank you to my family. Matt, David, and Heather, and Maggie. i um, thinking a lot this week about Sharon and Dave. Thanks, Phil Dirksen. If you liked this chapter, drop me a toonie on coffee. Oh, hey, looks like Gatekeeper's Key will be available in print and ebook this fall. That is terribly exciting. Thanks so much to you, dear listeners. Now, go be fantastic.